0: Log Talk Radio. time to get in the game. Good morning and welcome back. It has been a while, a couple months at least. I don't even want to look. It it, uh, it was two or three months back. Folks, I just hit a wall. What can I say? Um, And I am... I guess the virus had a lot to do with it. What was going on? Uh, but you know, maybe maybe I'll say a few things about that before I get into any of that stuff. Though, I wanted to give a great heads up to everybody out there that's listening, but also a big big congratulations to Brian Shelton, the coach at the University of Florida, who won a national championship this last week in collegiate tennis. And I wanted to tell you a couple things about Brian. Uh, I first saw Brian and met Brian. Maybe I was traveling around. He was about sixteen, and uh, I know that he and both uh, Kenny Thorne they originally used to live over in Huntsville, Alabama and uh, you know they were up and coming young players and and What can you say? They were salt of the earth, just good people. And I watched him develop not just as a collegiate player through the the mid-1980s and then on the pro tour. And his greatest work, though, of everything has been how he is coached. This is a men's national championship, but Brian also coached his alma mater, Georgia Tech, and I cannot remember the year but he won the national his team won the national championship in women's tennis and then he got the job at the University of Florida and he pulled off the stunt of uh, winning the national championship there at the University of Florida in the men's and i he probably is the first coach ever to do that in history and he probably is going to be the last but i sent him a text yesterday and just said you know, just I'm so happy because not so much what he did, but how he did it with honor and integrity and honesty and hard work. And he goes after American kids first and he he has honored the country and he has given his best and developed a bunch of young, great players. And the guy uh, just does the right things day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. And um, anybody that knows him is happy for him and thrilled. And I want all of you to. University of Florida alums or something you shout out, you got the winner of all winners there. And uh, I'm hoping that uh, he will continue on and on. And just his uh, legacy will grow as his his uh, coaching tree will grow. Two people under him will always prosper because of what he has taught them about being good men and good young women and uh, moving on. So, Brian Shelton, way to go. Bill Tim, Bill Tim, by Coach Bill Tim, over in, in the, uh, I guess, Bill's still in Nashville, I believe. But he started those boys out. Brian Shelton, Kenny Thorne, salt the earth there, too, at Georgia Tech. Those are just good, good people. They've contributed to American tennis so much over the years. So, I'm, I'm just so happy for, for their successes. And um, way to go, Bill Tim. You, you, you did a good job starting out and great job with uh, the families of those pe- those guys as well. So anyhow, I need to move on here. Uh, we haven't got a full-hour program today, but we're going to try to do our best. I, I wanted to tell you, though, I, it's not that I'm a slacker, folks. It's not that I ran out of gas. Uh, this daggone virus thing um what can I say? Insidious? Would that be the right word? Uh, the way it's hit everybody in the belly, the way it has just sort of um, knocked us for a loop. Not so much, you know, now the disease itself, of course, there have been people die. Probably everybody knows at least a first line or second line or third line relationship. Maybe somebody that has passed away had a good friend. Uh, coach steve carter i wanted to tell you down at uh gosh he was lsu one of my very very best friends in coaching my early days and uh, anybody that's ever been knows anything about louisiana tennis or southern tennis or college tennis knew steve carter and a great great man he was and we lost him to this daggone virus crud and uh uh, you know, that's the only—I've got to say—the only person that I've known firsthand that that has passed away. I've got some second-line people that I've known. That means people who know new people and their family members. But uh, gosh, it, that's a tough one. I talked to Steve right around a little bit before Christmas and late January. He's gone. Right. Also, getting get hit in the belly. I lost two close family members. I lost my niece and my my sister got sick and that was a tough one real tough one in about nine days from the time she got sick till she passed away no virus on that those uh, different stuff but all of us have these things in life happen to us and you get hit in the belly and but this stag on virus I wanted to tell you I'm, I'm leading in with this because it is so so important where we're going here because the very reason we get into tennis, the very reason we play tennis, the very reason we want our children to play tennis. We we'll always brag about it being a lifetime uh, sport, a lifetime journey. Well, it's it's a lifesaver, too, at times. It is something that we hang on to our whole lives is something that invigorates us, and every time we go on that tennis court, we have a flashback or a memory of something that happened to us back when we were children. Some some situation that came up. You, it's almost like when you go in that tennis court, you see where you first grew up. The first that first tennis court for me it was at Garfield Park in Indianapolis, Indiana, and getting to go down there, hang out with buddies or church church members, some of our schoolmates, and uh, just to hang out over there and to get to hang out all day run around without your shirt on shoot we played on that red dirt court sometimes with barefoot or just crummy black high t- top tennis shoes cut off blue jeans no shirt we would run we'd play tennis all day long and and you know besides maybe pick up a, a baseball game or you know and all that stuff but this is the sport that is it's not just of a lifetime it's it's sport of a lifesaver and in the things that it does for us but this virus I wanted to say this I, I don't know how to t- explain it except it was a slow drip torture the boogeyman always out there y'all know Do you remember when you were in school when you were young said it, it, they got the cooties you always wondered who had the cooties you know And the boogeyman is hiding everywhere And it was insidious we go somewhere and people would be hunkering down with these masks and going ooh this thing is coming for us and at first it was comical then it was more serious then you were going holy cow look at what's happening to our children the way they have to wear these masks and hide and what what it just the the dumbing down of our hearts and the dumbing down of our emotions and the dumbing down of our passion is it, it, just it was insidious and just insidious now i'm not belittling the disease everybody can say it was there but the way you bums in politics used this as a vehicle for your own agendas it, it was disgusting just disgusting probably on both sides of the aisle and it just disgusting you should be so ashamed you know the way now and I, and I think about this. My friend, uh, who is <laughs> is quite a smart man, Coach Randy Blumendahl. I was talking to him, and he said, "Look, all you got to do is look at the first few chapters of the Communist Manifesto. What's there? First of all, get people to used to living in fear. Okay, so isn't that what happened during World War II? Get people. Anytime you have an oppressive top-down government." Of any type, you get people to sort of live under the gun, under control, under fear. You know, if you don't do this, then you can't do this. You know, it's a rediction of freedom. And it's hot on my mind because I just watched Braveheart again last night. And any of you who are coaching males, for sure, and if their boys are over 15, 14 or 15 years old, they got to watch Braveheart they got to watch Braveheart. I'm not recommended for the girls so much, but for the boys, I think every boy needs to watch movies like Braveheart, High Noon, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Uh, you know, the, these are miracle. These these inspi- Hoosiers. These are inspiring movies and things. And there's books like that where we have to really teach young men what it's like to feel the passion of being a being a full man. Love, the, the, to live in fear is probably the most insidious thing, and my buddy said that. And then he said, what do you do next? You get rid of the heroes. And I was thinking about it last night. I, You know, when I was watching Braveheart with my son, and the uh, first time he had seen it, and gosh, there is a couple of scenes in there. I'm saying, ooh, cover your eyes, son. Don't know if you're ready for that stuff yet, but the, the long and the short of it, it's it, uh, powerful and then the third thing think about this how they got brothers are getting brothers to fight against brothers sisters to fight against sisters and how we as a society that has always come together and talked about uh, and, and met a common ground not an east left left right east west north north or south a common ground where we all believe we are americans and we believe in these principles we live life liberty in pursuit of happiness and we believe that passion should be expressed in something that we knew and not, not denied or dumbed down or smothered so regardless of you know we follow the medical advice yes and most of us got those shots and yes and most of us we had to wear the mask and we had to do this stuff and you know i'm so proud that i've been able to work during this whole time but the people who had to stay home and just hunkering down. What the insidious part of it has just been disgusting, just disgusting. Now, uh, that all being said, enough negative. On the positive end, because I'm going to talk about uh, being calling on us American patriots, the good, the bad, and the ugly of being American tennis patriot, American tennis patriots today. But the good part of what happened was this. Where do you turn when your backs to the wall? Where do you turn when life is being sucked out of you? Where do you turn when fear really comes and And I'll tell you folks you you basically it gets real simple. It becomes God, family, love friends, and loved ones, God, family, community. Then the circle of influence, I think the hardest thing is to do is to figure out that take care of our circle of influence and understand that we are only control, in control of what God gives us control of. And that's very little, but there is our circle of influence. That means our family members, and that means our neighbors and our communities. And that's where we have to start. This is, and I'm going to go there with the tennis today as I talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of American tennis, the, that we need to start with our brothers, sisters, children, and help those people right around us learn how to play tennis, introduce them to the game, give them an activity where they can express their passions and and cut loose and don't have to wear the daggone mask. They can go out and play tennis and, uh, you know, just have to get to forget about the boogeyman and, and uh, you know, and, and so – it comes down to God, family, our community, our circle of influence, and our circle of concern has been big, very, very big. And I, there's no way around that now with the communication of uh, the Internet and everything, and we're 24 hours a day bombarded with everything. There's no way to get around it except turn the daggone TV off, which I do. I, I've i been hitting uh, old movies, and I've been hitting Reading books, I read five books this last year, and, uh, you know, I've written, you know, a lot. (laughs) But as far as reading, I'm a movie guy. I I just absolutely have missed so much going to the movie. So, you know, God, family, our churches, our communities, I'm so thankful for our church that has stayed open almost all the time. And we did things the right way but we we got to go to church and we got to congregate and uh... that's really important but but hear me out folks on this don't ever ever live in fear don't ever live in fear you know you go to god you go to family go to loved ones we need our heroes help resurrect our heroes don't tear down heroes don't don't mock those people and just try to tear down people if Again, there's a saying that you never make your own light shine brighter by trying to put someone else's out. You elevate people. You don't tear them down. And brother on brother, let's meet common ground and and talk and do what we need to do. Shoot, I actually got a group of men together and we started meeting, you know, every once a month. And and I don't care. Y'all can start it out there too. But we call it the Stand Up Brotherhood, S-U-Bs. The subs, I started out by saying, listen, guys, our first stringers are letting us down. Our preachers have let us down a lot. Our leaders have let us down a lot. You know, we've got to stand up and stand up for God. We've got to stand up for families, stand up for communities, stand up country. And, and our circle of influence is tennis. Our circle of influence right now is the sports world. Our circle of influence is trying to help young people get up and get running and, and uh find out figure out <clears throat> about the passion that's involved in sports and uh but but think about what I'm talking about here folks and I'm gonna leave it at this. Don't ever live in fear. Don't ever live in fear. Until we are unafraid of dying and we're unafraid and we know about god and what what we have there we could never really live unless we get rid of the fear we're not supposed to live in fear secondly let's help our heroes stand up and stand out and if the hero is next door honor them honor them there's enough glory to go around for everybody it does not diminish you by trying to put somebody else's light out you honor other people you elevate them and then brothers, brothers and sisters, we gotta love each other in the way that we have tough love too. And we call them out when we need to call them out for the wrongdoing. It doesn't make us holier than now. Doesn't make us better than the next person. But if we look, tolerance is not a virtue in our in our loved ones. Tolerance is not a virtue. We tolerate anybody, <clears throat> their, their lives. We're not, we're not judging anybody, but with our loved ones, we have to find a common ground where we can agree and move forward. The good, the bad, and the ugly is what we're going to talk about today in American Tennis, and we will be right back in a second. This is Coach Chuck Creasy, and this is American Tennis. This is Coach Chuck Creasy, and my coaching book, Coaching Tennis, has now been out for 25 years, and it has been named the third best-selling, and it's rated the third top of all coaching tennis books in the world right now. We just got a report on it, and as exciting as that is to me, I'm more exciting. Excited that it is still here, and you can still order it on Amazon. Go to Chuck Creasy, K-R-I-E-S-E, and the book is Coaching Tennis. You can always pick up older copies of my books, Total Tennis Training, Winning Tennis, and Youth Tennis. Coach Chuck Creasy's Coaching Tennis. It's still out there. Call Amazon today, folks. Coach Chuck Creasy and I'm back and I had a long introduction here but I think it's right that we uh, sort of set the table on what we want to do but my program today in the intro I put calling on all American tennis patriots and that's what I call all of you and um, I've got to tell you the truth I what part of the reason I shut down the program a little bit is I've been sort of upset with the Facebook stuff uh, <clears throat> and I just haven't been on there because of their censoring of certain things and certain people. And they probably it's going to censor me sometime. And the, hey, listen, they'll censor you too if they, they start uh, having that right. But don't we have the First Amendment right, the right to, uh, the right to worship, the right to speak our minds, the right to congregate, and the freedom of the press. We have our First Amendment rights, and we need to understand we need to use our rights to fight for our First Amendment rights before our First Amendment rights get taken away, but we need to do that. But I I, uh, guess I'm going to have to use that vehicle to try to get my program out and stuff, and I've got to become more familiar with the new uh, programs that are out there and the new apps I guess uh, where I can get the programs out and and those people want to find it you can find it at my website chuckcreasy.net always but um, anyhow it's just one of those deals I need somebody who can help me stay versed in all that but anyhow it's time to get the programs off and rolling and I wanted to say that the program today about the good the bad and the ugly of American tennis I need to start by saying the good. We have so many good things going on with American tennis, so many things that are hopeful. Uh, We, in the mid-1980s, I've mentioned this before on the program, that we had up to 41 American-born players who played college tennis and then made top 100 in the world. And today, I think we have three men and two women, something, five, I think we have And, no, here's the hard thing. It's the first time in 45 years that we don't have a male player in the top 30 in the world. So I talked to uh, one of the top USTA guys down there who's, who's working on that, and I said, look, man, it is not your fault. Your primary fault is of the collegiate programs are not grooming American players. You, the college programs are not grooming American players. Now, I'm part of that. I've been college coaching for 43 years, going into my 44th year. I obviously believe in it. But it is only a shadow or a minuscule amount of the training that we used to get when we were able to train players. I say able to train players because the, they, in the 19 early 1990s, is when everything the rubber hit the road with all of the restrictions being placed on college tennis and why did they put it on there they put it on there for no other reason but control it wasn't about academics he said oh we're going to get our students back in the classroom our athletes come on our tennis players made great grades nothing to do with it they just basically it was some political moves and i'll get more in that in a second but we do need to talk about the good the bad and the ugly i told uh, my good friend, who is working down at the USTA that's not your fault. First of all, eighty percent of the college tennis is foreign athletes, people who come in from other countries, and they take the spots of our American athletes. Now, before we go there, I'm going to um, I'm, I'm going to come back to the bad. in a minute and talk about the reasons for that but we have great resources we have great people we have great facilities we have enough money to do the things we need to do the good part is the junior training has been I think tremendous Uh, there's not a high school probably anywhere that doesn't have access at least to tennis courts or tennis teams we have the opportunity there with high school programs to really get people off and running we, tennis boomed in the 70s, and it carried us through the 80s, and there's plenty of opportunities for our people to play. So we have the equipment, we have the money, we have the facilities, we have the expertise. Uh, we've had the the heroes and the role models. There's some, been some great ones. There have been some great ones in American tennis. Andre Agassi is comes to mind the michael changs come to jim courier is probably one of my all-time favorites what a competitor what an athlete that that man could have played three different sports on the professional level and he was a great great role model and there's so many so many more you know the stay arthur the stan smiths and and on and on and on but we've we've had a lot of great great Role models, the Dennis Ralstons I have to bring out, because Dennis actually passed away this last year as well. That's a tough one. What a great, great man, a great, great competitor, and what a great influence he's had on so many people's lives with his strong faith and his his, uh, steadfastness. and and, uh, So that's been a tough one as well. We have all those good things, so let's talk about what's going on the bad what's really going on with american tennis here well i think that you know there's an old saying that you build something and then you have some success and then you have it gets bigger and then you have to feed it more And then you have to feed it more, and then it becomes a monster that you can't feed, and then it starts devouring you. Could that be what's happened in American tennis? I believe that American tennis had become a big, big bureaucracy. Whenever you have a bureaucracy that does top-down management first, what happens is its first goal is to self-perpetuate itself, is to feed itself. To feed itself. Uh, when, when anything is like this, a church gets too big. What happens? It 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 becomes. It tries to keep feeding itself and feeding itself, and it doesn't often feed the flock. We know this in education. Once a school becomes too big, once a anything becomes too big, it becomes a bureaucracy, and then it, the first the first thing is to feed itself. <laughs> it comes to mind. If you haven't seen it, watch Ford versus Ferrari. I use it so much to illustrate with my college tennis players and any top tennis players the ability. I've always said that your tennis game is very much like building a car, race car in the garage. You're the driver. You build the tennis game, then you learn how to drive it on the road. First, got to go on smaller roads, then a little bigger roads, then a little bigger roads. And before you can drive into Indianapolis 500, you've got to have that race car tuned but you also have to have to know how the know-how as a driver. What was beautiful was the conflict there between Ford and the Ferrari company. Ferrari, all the, everything handmade, but a very non-creative driver that blew the engine. Uh, I love Ken Miles. You had the Ford products, that they were all corporate level, but you had that gunslinger, that guy who was creative driving, and it was beautiful to see. You know, the, just the whole story was fantastic. It was just a fantastic program, Ford versus Ferrari. But I think about that when I, the bureaucracy the way it showed a difference in bureaucratical mishmash and what happened. I just believe the USTA has gotten too big. And in 1987, they made a move to try to control player development. In 1987, and they've had some great, great coaches in there. I wanted to shout out to Doug McCurdy who was probably, I think, the most effective director of player development. He right away got went to the roots, and I, it was the first time I saw the head of the USTA player development. It was basically one of the last times. He was at National Kalamazoo. He had a staff there, and they were on it. They were looked like all college coaches, what college coaches do. They had a game plan. Each one of them had five or six up-and-coming players that they were watching, not just the ones that were already stars. And uh, they really picked out some great players and helped those players grow. But I think he was a great leader, and they've had some great leaders. But the, the bottom line on the thing is what happens is people start having expectations. You have all the bells and whistles. You have the Ford Motor Company or something, and then you go, wow, now how do we make this all successful? And what what I believe happens, it becomes a lot of paralysis by analysis, in that a lot of the simple one ABC fundamentals maybe get overlooked that you can't do with outside group. You you, you would never bring an outside coach in to work with your youngster, except for as a consultant now and then, because they don't know the player. You've got to know as a coach, you've got to know everything about the player, everything about how they've developed, how they're wired, how they handle competition, what their personality type is, a lot about the family background, and it becomes that, that deep of a relationship. I always will tell people when they ask that there are five levels of relationship, cliches, facts, opinion, feelings, and needs, five levels. Most coaches from the outside will stay with cliches and facts. Hey, I think they need a little bit bigger, you know, bigger. An opinion would be, hey, I think they need a bigger forehand. But basically they'll say make a cliche and then a fact about something, maybe go to opinion. But feelings and needs, you have to go there as a coach and it's it's a more it's a much deeper relationship than just surface, but I think that you cannot do that with a big bureaucracy. My problem with the u s t a is pretty much that they're going to a top down management of all the tournaments, computerized rankings the ranking system has been a disgrace it look it's great from the management standpoint of being able to keep score and get rankings out there and tell people how much points they got and that worked fine on the atp circuit and on the pro circuit i will never change my opinion on it though that we had the best system ever with the the head-to-head system with who beat who and who's done best at these six or seven tournaments and, and instead of just having points, because with the point system, if you've had parents just chasing points and kids picking up on it now, just how many points I have and all this. And the UTR, look, the UTR is a good tool. If kids would just use it a little bit to say, hey, I'm at this level, I want to get to this level. But my golly, the amount of work now that parents do, it's it try to check out oh, you're playing someone you should beat today because they're only 8.4 UTR and you're a 9.1 UTR. By the way, you get to play somebody tomorrow that's a 10.1 and this person is supposed to beat you, so honey, just have a good time out there. And how that messes up kids in so many different ways as far as, you know, just, again, too much paralysis by analysis. You, you, You need to be able to dream. Kids need to be able to dream when they're, playing they need to be able to go into a tournament and say you know what that's i think i can beat this guy because i think my backhand's better than his and i think this and this and this yep he's got a little bit longer record than me but i think i can do this and they learn that they believe they can do it and that's how they make jumps and it's it's i just uh just think again the computers have messed everything up the computers have allowed the wrong people to be in charge and the reason i say that's not bad people But the computers allow managers to be in leadership position. And the book, the book, what was that book? Dang, on leadership back in the 70s. They said, uh, come on, come on, come on. It'll come to me in a second, folks. I am sorry. They said, managers do things right, but leaders do right things if you think about that, we need number one people, number one positions, whether or not they're computer people or not. We need people that can lead, and uh, they're not afraid to dive into the fire and to, not afraid to make decisions. Last night, holy cow, Braveheart, and it's a it's a it's a quote that I've forgotten, but Robert the Bruce was talking to uh, uh, William Wallace, and William Wallace said. People don't follow titles or or positions. They follow courage, and that is so, so true. Again, leaders do right things. Managers do things right. I think that that's a bad thing we've done with the bureaucracy. Okay, enough on the bureaucratical part of that and what we've done. Uh, The bad thing do is... College being crippled. College and high school is crippled. Now, look, folks, in every other sport, gosh, baseball, football, basketball, golf, track and field, every other sport, every sport, high school is a training ground for college sports. And college sports usually are a training ground for the professional ranks. Did you watch the PGA? tournament this last week phil mickelson i think he was oklahoma oklahoma state i can't remember i remember he went to school out there somewhere he won the ncaa's back in about early 90s late 80s early 90s but all of those golfers all those pro golfers came out of american colleges if you look at nfl football all american colleges well okay let's uh look at swimmers and other thing now I would take an exception, or or call out the exception that uh, soccer in the missile leagues, the American leagues, you have almost all foreigners now. But but tennis, we we just have not. We're not doing a good job in the high schools of training our kids for college. Number one, but college is not a springboard for the professional ranks anymore. How could it be? How could it be? With only three hours a day training allowed maximum, that means weight work and everything that you do. Actually, the rule is four hours a day, but it's 20 hours a week. Usually, it's only three hours kids get. And, and 20 hours a week and then 25 matches a year. Are you kidding me? So college is just cripples, disease, <laughs> cripples diseases. It cripples careers. It cripples careers. High school is is again, high school tennis. Uh, we need to have a format. We need to have a format that stimulates growth, and I think a tournament format would be much better than the dual match format in high school programs. We need the, the tournament format um, in. College tennis, too, we need to shift more towards a tournament format. Hear me on this. You're going to have to think about this one, and I'm going to run out of program time before I get it all out. But think about this now. Tournament tennis players grow exponentially. In that one weekend, if they get hot and win a tournament, early rounds they play people they're usually better than, middle rounds about play, players about like themselves then the final, semifinals and finals, you get to play up a little bit. So in one weekend, they might, boom, take a big, big jump. So they grow exponentially. If you fall and lose the first round, lose the first round, lose the first round, and then pop up, you you only fall arithmetically when you lose a tournament. You might lose first or second round. You only fall arithmetically, but you grow exponentially. The complete polar opposite is true for dual match tennis. Dual match tennis is good for introductory levels. Listen to me now. Introductory levels and league play, exposure to the game. However, for player development, it is a crippler because you only grow arithmetically, just one little peg at a time. And you're always playing someone who's at your level, but you will fall geometrically or exponentially if you are the last young lad or the last young lady that is on that court and you lose the whole title or the whole team match for your school, a lot of times you'll lose a player for three or four weeks, folks. It's it's horrible as a coach. It's horrible. We need more tournament tennis. So the bad are those things. I think college, and, and I'm going to talk about these, what's wrong. Uh, again, we need to get – the number one people will hire number one people number two people hire number threes and fours let's get more number one people who have been in the arena who know how to build it and and to take care of the bad part uh which which is just seeing the big picture instead of pigeonholing everything again college i just want to talk about college most of the time What happened was the Ivy Leaguers primarily always had a rule where they could only do 18 matches a year. And when you go to the Ivy League, you know you're not going there primarily to be an athlete. You're going there for academics. Everybody wants to go academics first. Well, let me tell you, not everybody. Everybody looks at the academics as important, believe me. But a lot of people go there to get their sports career off and running. It's hard at the Ivy Leagues almost impossible they only played 18 matches but they've always had good talent and i believe that they were one of the culp you know what what i want to say the the person the the the, they were a lot of the people that really pushed their committees in the ita pushed to dumb down college tennis to dumb it down to what we have now was just it's not enough. High school tennis is... I want to get on to the ugly, the dirty work of the ugly and what we need to do. It's ugly, dirty work because a lot of these things have been tried before and and then they people don't go continue to go after them because you either have to ruffle a few feathers or because it just didn't work the first time you have to stay with it. You Also, it's ugly work because Zero return on your work a lot of times, and there's so many naysayers. If you stick your head above the crowd, if you stick your head above the crowd, somebody's always there is going to take a shot at you, aren't they? You know, it. uh, People are always a little different. People get. It's just human nature. But here's the ugly. These are the five, six sleeping giants in American tennis. High school tennis. Let's do a better job. High school coaches out there. High school tennis. Let's play more tournament format. If you want one of the most perfect formats that develops players is the state of Texas. They do a, a team season with boys and girls in the fall. They do tournament tennis the rest of the year after Christmas. We need to do this in college tennis as well. Small town tennis USA. Look, USTA, you've been pumping money into the inner city. That's fine. We need to try to help everybody but over 75% of your professional athletes come out of towns, less than 50,000 people in them, less than 50,000 people. That means we need help in the small towns. How do you do that? There's not enough quality tennis people to go around to teach tennis in small towns. And young tennis teachers off the tour, they're greedy. They want to make the quick money fast. Very few servants out there. So what you do, though, is let's get some down-the-line players that aren't going to play professional tennis and get them summer internships in small-town community centers and then cut cut a young uh, Chuck Creasy loose or a Bill, Bill uh, Smith or a uh, whoever, cut them loose, uh, a young <clears throat> Bill Tim, a, a young uh, Tom Higgins, a young Kenny Heidegger, a young, bland, Randy Blumen. I'm just telling you, great coaches I know out there. Cut them loose in a town of thirty or forty thousand people. When, at a community center, they can get certified with one of the certification programs, and then let them go to work on creating energy. And you, you get leaders as well. Small town tennis, senior tennis. Holy cow, the pickleball craze. The fear of the pickleball. Holy cow, I'm tired of people talking about the pickleball. But it's all about symmetry, folks. High-tech rackets and lively balls make for trying to dance a waltz with uh, foxtrot or disco music. It don't work. There's no symmetry in the ball striking. And you've done it yourself by letting manufacturers run the uh, – do what they wanted to do, USTA – they make the high tech rackets. The balls are too lively. Now here's the catch. You could go to green dot balls. I would use those all day and play singles at my age. But the point is, everybody's embarrassed to use a kitty ball. like I don't want to sh- I grew up in Indiana. I don't want to shoot baskets at an eight foot goal. I want to shoot at a full ten foot goal. Seniors don't want to play with green dot balls, but how about making a senior ball? You can make it a little different. Just call it the golden, the golden, you know, the golden. You know what I'm talking about. Give it a good name, the senior slugger, baller, anything. You could come up with something. But if you get the symmetry back, right, it was with on uh, clay court tennis with wood rackets, and you're not. They're not going to use wood rackets, so you have to work with the ball. That's how you save senior tennis ages 22 to 35 we have nothing for you folks out there you young women or young men who've played college nothing we need tournaments for you to stay active in the sport holy cow i could go on and on about how the atp messed up they should have stayed with the satellite events i don't know whether that was by design to protect the top players or it just was convenient But the satellites were so much better than the futures, challengers, and tour events that we have now. The satellites, anybody could go. Let me tell you a quick, quick story here. I've only got a few minutes. So I'm in Portugal and um, going around to some satellites there. And I've probably been to a total of 15 satellite events in my coaching in the summer times with uh, different players. So the first week of the satellite, you'd have 150 guys there at the the tournament. Then the next week, there'd probably be 60. Then the third week, you've got about 40 maybe. Then at the Masters, you've got 16. (laughs) And it weeds out the pretenders, number one, but the bottom line on the thing, too, is those 16 players came through it and they got enough ATP points that they said now – I can at least get into the qualifying of a bigger tournament. There's no future in the futures now, though. And what it's allowed is that there's little payoff, and they let anybody in to where when you go to a futures, you can play into qualifying and all that. But even if you win, you have to be almost perfect uh, with the futures, the way the point structure is. I think the dirty little secret might be that the ATP that Once you're on in top 50 in the world, you've got to do a lot of losing and a lot of crummy stuff to bump out of the top 50 in the world. I think they did it to protect their own. So the doorway in is much is very, very small, and the doorway out is even smaller for the top 50 players. Maybe it's a little bit bigger on the way out and a little smaller on the way in. Used to just have certain gatekeepers that you had to get past certain mile markers on the pro tour, but my gosh, twenty-two to thirty-five. It's it's we need some. um, You know, we used to have a U.S. U.S. amateur circuit that would be a great idea as well. This is uh, bottom-up management. What can I say about bottom-up management? Your circle of influence is much more important to take care of than your circle of concern out there. Think about that, all you coaches and players and parents out there. Take care of it's God, family, job, and community first. Friends, take care of the circle of influence that you have. College tennis, what a sleeping giant. What a waste. All of the money, all of the facilities, everything. I'm going to give you an example of something that's going on. Okay, so, whew. All of the colleges in your state, okay, is, is there a minor league baseball team close to you, a single A or double A team? Here in Charleston, of course, we have the River Dogs, Charleston River Dogs. I think it's a single A uh, team. What's going on in college tennis right now is you have, it would be as if single A players or double A players, probably not triple A because they're really on their way to the majors single-A and double-A players say you know what I've been here playing pro tournaments for oh golly two years and I'm not going anywhere Uh, you know I think I'm just gonna go back to college and play on a college team they'll give me a full scholarship or scholarship to go do it could you imagine if that happened how wrong that is for our high school baseball players our high school tennis players are getting the bad raw end of the deal our junior tennis players in this country you 're going to find out parents, and the sad, sad thing is, and I would let them have it and and tell them you know outright they your, your school close, you need to be recruiting eighty percent americans we're not against foreign players, nobody is, but every every country in the world that you go to usually allows two international players on their teams look when i went I worked in Thailand, I worked for Southeast Asia tennis when I went to Thailand folks. I knew that I was a guest there, and I needed to honor the system, and I needed to respect the system, and I did not need to try to milk anything. I tried to earn my way each and every day and respect it, and when it was my time to leave, I knew it was my time to leave. Now, what we have now is 80%. It's like a a jobs program for failed professionals. You know, so players come in, they play a couple years or four years, and some of them are great. Some of them are great. I'm not saying that. Okay, here's an idea. I I told a guy who runs the college program at the USTA, look, you can't just outlaw foreign players. So here's what you do. You reward coaches that do the best job with American players. If you you have some credentials and criteria if, you know top you get, maybe you have to be top twenty five in the country, eighty percent Americans, but if you do we're going to give you a stipend we're going to give you a chunk of change here, or we're going to give your program something a great grant here for something but USTA, you have the money you ought to be doing that reward excellence for what you're trying to achieve you also you need to and with uh, needs to have an all american all american team. That's 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 about as that's as simple as as it is. We don't need to have. We should not have an all-American team with, you know, 15 people named and 12 of them are from countries other than America. It just how does that make sense? We need the USTA. USTA. We used to have the Kodak All-American football team. Come on, you're not going against anybody. The ITA controls this now. By the way, ITA, get your act together get your act together and listen, we lost 70 programs during the virus. We lost 70 college programs, you know, and they're USTA, or excuse me, ITA and USTA, this new ad system that you're playing, abbreviated tennis, the ugly, we we have, I have so much information I need to share about how bad parents, Got one more I've got enough time to make one one comment here on uh I want you to think about this one on uh how bad NOAD is for your child and how stunting it is to their growth as a tennis player. Pointed everything out, how unfair it is. It's an eight point swing on game point. Everybody sees it at four two, isn't it? It could be five two or four three. What about if it scores four four? and uh, your, your youngster gets cheated on game point or a let cord, okay, the other person now is up 5-4, they need four, your youngster needs 12, eight-point swing. First game of the match, it's an eight-point swing. It's so, so wrong to use. The abbreviated scoring is horrible for the development of the players. Let me explain why. Any, and I'm going to credit Randy Blumendahl. This is brilliant for him to be thinking this way. He told me one time, Coach, when you develop players, here's what. Don't we first learn how to help them lengthen rallies? Yes. My daughter right now, we're trying to get her to where she can hit 20 good balls in a row. Yes, you do that. Okay, lengthen rallies, then what? Okay, then you try to lengthen points, don't you? <clears throat> Have long points and make sure that you can construct. Then what do you do? You try to lengthen what? Games? Oh, not in no ad. Not in no ad. In no ad, you only get seven points no matter what. It's a race to four. No swinging momentum (coughs) other than, wait a minute, wait a minute, no ad. If you only got to win the first one to four by no, no ads at all, You don't ever have to play those long war zone games. We all know all this. But think about it. First you lengthen rallies. Then you lengthen points. Then you lengthen games. Do the Spanish know something we don't know? They lengthen games on clay, don't they? Okay, lengthen. No, then you learn to lengthen sets. Oh, then you learn to lengthen matches. Sets. Oh, I won 7-5 with that player. Oh, I lengthened a match. I'm going three sets with this person. I went three sets with the number one seed. Oh, I played a super tie. This stupid tiebreaker is just a killer as well, parents. Your youngsters need to learn to play that third set. How are they going to just pop up one day and be able to play a third set that is tough? So they learn to lengthen points. Then they learn to lengthen rallies and points. Then games. Then sets. Then matches. Then tournaments. They learn how to get to the late rounds. Then they learned group tournaments. Then they learned to lengthen their seasons. Then they learned to lengthen the careers. There's eight steps, and we're taking out their ability to lengthen games. Horrible, horrible. And uh, it would be like uh, my son's in baseball. What if you only had seven pitches, and after that, if you foul a ball, you're out, son. Holy cow, how bad that would be. And uh, we're go- we're going to have a situation in tennis where if you're small, forget it. You're either going to have to be a big bomber or you have no no chance. You don't have a chance to point, be a middleweight tennis boxer anymore. You have to be a, a knockout artist. Just disgusting. So anyhow, I, I don't want to get off a no ad. But uh, Americans, okay, checkpoint seven or six here. College tennis sleeping giant, but Americans listen. The dirty work is for each one of you to take care of your circle of influence, those people around you. You need to understand that it is bottom up in anything, whether it's politics or whether it's your school systems being better, whether it's your tennessee's being better. A squeaky wheel, I told a mother this the other day, a squeaky wheel gets the oil, but if it squeaks too loud, it gets removed. But be persistent, parents. Your kids will not get good in tennis. They're playing no ad either. You can't play arena football and then say, "Okay, I'm ready for the NFL one day." <laughs> You're, we're playing arena tennis is what we're doing. I have covered a lot of lot of lot of information, and it's about we are about done. I I wanted to mention this. I will be on every Wednesday uh... now we we will have guests and we will be discussing things and i'd like to have call-ins if we can uh... frankly we had a couple crank calls uh... couple years ago and we had to shut it down we don't have a uh, ten second delay thing here and no way to track the people down who made the call i write their numbers down but usually it leads to nothing but um you know we we need to Try to expand on what we're doing we will we will have more programs now but i did want to say this <clears throat> go back and listen to you know whether it's brave heart talking about freedom and uh, i love playing that quote and i might might get it in an introduction to my program here american tennis he said uh there when he's getting everybody together they said he said we'll go home and we'll live and he says yeah You'll live, you go home, and you'll live and today, if you fight, you may die, but he said one day, many years from now, you die in your bed and watch you wouldn't give for one chance, one chance in your life to fight tyranny, and we are fighting tyranny in our country a lot, folks, but we're fighting tyranny also in uh in tennis in the sport of tennis, people who want to impose everything and they want control, and um, don't let people control your lives no matter what. The growth in tennis should be a freeway. It's not just a pathway. It's a freeway. Figure out your program. Get help from people. Yeah, use the resources of the USTA. Yeah, use the resources of high school and college tennis. But you really need to have a good, good handle on it. But But understand that... If you don't have freedom to do those things that you need you you have nothing. We have nothing. The appeaser is the person who gets to feed the alligator, the whole alley all the alligators so that he is or he or she is the last one eaten and if you're appeasing, do some soul searching and you don't need to ever be mean but we need to stand up, speak out, say those things that need to be said, be kind, address issues, not people, and no one can ever find fault. Folks, leaders out there, people need incentives. They don't need systems. Systems cripple people. Incentives inspire people. Rules never will keep a dishonest or a bad person from breaking rules. It only stimulates their levels of deviance because innately they have something very wrong with them to, to find the, the, how to do the bad, to cheat, lie, or steal. The problem was with too many rules is that they paralyze good people and make them hunker down into a very, very small confinement. Don't do that. Don't live in fear. Don't be afraid. Get out and help other people. And the last thing I'll say is during my hardest time, Hardest time during this whole virus thing and all these things that happened, very, very hardest thing I realized, the biggest thing that gave me relief is just go help somebody else. Go get out of yourself and go minister to someone else. Help some kid play tennis. Go see a friend. Talk to a friend's having problems. I want to remind you you're in the process of winning or losing every day of your life, and it has very little to do with a win or a loss and we'll see you next week. This is Coach Chuck Creasy and this is... Good.